Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. It is September 1st in my book. It is still summer, but uh, this is so... <laughs> let it rain, the, let it rain, yes, let it, it rain. Yes, it is raining and feeling cloudy and fall-like out there. And uh, joining us today, of course, Mara Carabello of the Exoro Group. State Auditor John Dougal filling in for Greg Hughes is always off frolicking and doing something fun without us. So thanks for being here. Some people here. have to vacation. Some, some people, people have yeah. to work. Some I men. know. I think he only goes on vacation when his wife tells him he's going on vacation, which is a good plan. Yeah, I yeah. think that's very true. Yeah. I think he's in... St. George. St. Jeezy, as the yep. cool kids like to yeah. call it. And Mara is back from dropping off her daughter at college, uh, so she's feeling the growing pains uh, or yeah, shrinking Yeah, we've pains. had a week of growth. My for, daughter For is, you and your daughter? For sure. Unex- I mean, not unexpectedly, but we've gotten every inch. She's at Loyola Chicago. Yay, good for her. But yeah, first week away. Change is hard. And when will she be home first? The holidays? Will Thanksgiving or Christmas? Or when will you get Thanksgiving's the first Labor Day. Day. Exactly. (laughs) Tonight at 10. No. Uh, Thanksgiving. She she does have a fall break, but she's staying there. She's going to have her cousin come out for fall break. Ah, that'll be fun. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Dougal, what are you up to other than trying to audit everyone? Uh, I mean, we're, we're just kicking into the busy season and stuff. This is when we audit all the colleges and universities in the state of Utah. Uh, but personal life, it's grandbaby's about ready to turn two, so kind of fun there. That's exciting. And I dropped my daughter off um, to her first grown-up real job at UC Merced um, in California last week, and we sort of get training wheels on letting her move out permanently because <laughs> she is coming home, flying home in two weeks for um, a wedding because she's a bridesmaid. So nice. she's flying home real quick and then back out again. So. We're That'll ripping the Band-Aid off real slow on That's that. You're not so. doing a road trip on that one. No road trip there. Oh, my gosh. I know that Utah families drive to California all the time. It's the norm. I don't like it. I want to fly on an airplane and get places fast. And when you're moving your kids, oftentimes it takes driving. But I'm like, this is a lot of sitting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a trip. La- last year, I went to Portland three times in six weeks in the summer. Wow. So. You drove And you drove time? every time? Well, I drove up and drove my parents back and went up and picked up something from my in-laws, a car for a project mm. car for my son, and then went back up and moved them down to Utah. So, How long does that take? Uh, it's about uh, 12 to 14 hours each, each way. Did you straight shoot that or you? Oh, had, yeah. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Do you pull over and rest? No? Uh, well, you got to fill up with gas. So it's about five, That's five it? minutes. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you Couple don't take the electric car. I was wondering no, no, my, how often my, you have to... My, okay, my kids tease me because it's John like Dougal a pit, pit stop with a family. It's like, okay, you guys got five minutes. Okay, so what's your staying awake tricks? You listen to podcasts, you eat oh, sunflower the state treasurer, seeds. Dave Damson used to tease me. I got to have my cold water. That's it? That's no it. Red Bull? Seriously, a little bit of cold water gets no, you through? This hyperactivity is not chemically enhanced. <laughs> wow. Holy Toledo. I know. I'm impressed. Yeah. I know. I have to run around and get jumping jacks. But my husband One of these days, I'll driver. retire and be a long-haul trucker. Yeah, you know? no kidding. You could totally do that. And you can make money. You can make at least six figures as a UPS driver right now. So just keep it in mind if you need it. Think of a there backup yeah. plan. There you go. A backup plan. Boys right. in brown. Uh, boys <laughs> in brown. Well, uh 
we have so much to talk about. As always, the Congressional District 2 race primary is coming up in, what, four days now on Tuesday. It is Friday today. None of us live in that district, do we? No, no. and it feels oddly naked to me because I'm used to getting mailers and you're mm-hmm. hearing all these commercials and so much going on. But it feels sort of anticlimactic. I'm assuming if you live in the district like Mara, you're getting more mailers and getting I don't, more doc- I don't live in the district. Oh, Which I district thought you are did you for in? some reason. I'm in Blake Morris. You're oh, in you one. Are. I'm in three. And I'm You're in four, 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 four. Yeah, yeah. I'm right. I for a while, for a minute, I was in the district. Mm-hmm. You know, there there was an iteration. I was in the district when you were moved in and out. And then the final. I so yeah, it feels cut. weird. Like, Oops, we don't want that. No, I forgot about you lefties up on the bench. That's right. And the first glimpse we've had right now is even already an old glimpse. Uh, Deseret News <laughs> and Hinckley Institute released a poll, but everyone already is saying. Uh, it's two weeks old, and lots happen in two weeks. This is a short race. But to go over those numbers, the most interesting thing to me is that 47% as of two weeks ago were undecided. That's a lot of undecideds. Uh, again, this is two weeks old at this point. Uh, they released it when ballots started arriving at homes on the 15th. Becky Edwards, though, if you were to look at people who are decided, have a decisive lead at 32%. Bruce Huff, surprisingly, 11% next. And then Celeste Malloy, who you expect, with how Utah works, to be number one, is at 9%. So, Mara, crunch some numbers for me. Tell me what uh, your brain's thinking when you see this. Let's see the math. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I meant to refresh my brain on this. So, I'm, I'm reaching from some notes from last week. But uh, a couple things. One, the um, expected voter turnout is trending with 2017. So why do we care about 2017? It's the last special election that is comparable to this. And John Curtis. And, right. So so if you look at our recent comparable race, we look like we're about in the same place. It looks like um, low 40s is probably going to be where voter turnout is. What's intriguing, though, is it will be less people. And that's problematic. So, um, you know, we have, I want to say, 200,000 people who are eligible voters in this race. And so you're looking at a minority for sure making this really big decision. One of the other things I think that is, you know, consensus is that this is a dominant Republican race. So the primary is really the likely member of Congress. Um, And so I think voter turnout is going to be low. It doesn't seem like we can get attention to this, even though it's a really big deal. Becky's got to feel great about our numbers. But for those of us wonks who are looking at it, we're asking the question of Becky Edwards. uh, When she ran against Mike Lee the last cycle for Senate, which is an apple and an orange. These are not the same races. But she capped at 29. Now, 29% was statewide. We don't know. I don't have the number for what is in the second CD. But you do wonder if that indicates that a cap for a moderate Republican, a traditional Republican, is there or not. That's the big question. The other big question is Bruce Huff is running very much as probably the most conservative member of the three, and then Celeste Malloy is right next to him. So the question is, uh, do they cancel any of each other's votes? Uh, and and Becky Edwards has or, or split the moderate yeah. middle. Um, and with so few people voting and with a three-way that's what we all start to do is really micro crunch, like low turnout or. And this is going to come down to voter turnout. Who can 100%. get the most people to show up? Yeah. And, and Becky has a slight advantage in that of the three 
people have voted for her before. You know, you she's got what we would call a base because if someone has voted for you, whether that was in her race for Senate, U.S. Senate, or was that in her House race, once someone's voted for you, you really could trust that they're probably going to perform for you again. The other two, they're new to it. They don't have those built-in voters. It is interesting. I'm going to underline what you said. It is interesting that as of that moment in time, the GOP, the party's preferred nominee was coming in a distant third. And you expect coming out of um, convention that you're going to have, at least in the state of Utah, that that's going to be your top candidate. But the interesting thing that we get with Celeste Malloy is that there was a little bit of controversy coming out a little bit. of con- convention <laughs> in that she hadn't voted for a couple of years and that was concerning to people. And so I think that was off-putting to some extent. There's a lot of people also who don't know her. While she obviously has been very involved, she's been working for the congressman's office. Chris Stewart, uh, she deals with land issues. She's not a household name. And so she had some stumbling blocks to start with. And then when people were talking about her, they were talking about the fact that she hadn't voted. Does this hurt her in the long run? Or do you think she can overcome this? Because she's been making a lot of stops and holding a lot of meetings and small debates uh, with uh, Bruce Huff as well. So I think one of the things is, first of all, of the three candidates, she has the most experience back in D.C., understanding the process, the policies, other things like that. But I think the fact that she didn't vote and some of the controversy around those type of things does drag on her. I'm also seeing that folks that generally are advocates for the convention process, trying to push people not to vote for her because they question some of the dynamics at the convention. Now, I think she was registered to vote. She was uh, you know, registered Republican. I think folks are making too big a deal out of some of those things. But, but there is some backlash that she's getting, which will likely push folks closer to Bruce in, in that case. Because I think when you look at those numbers, Becky has the left wing of the party. She's got it locked up. There's no question they're going to vote for Becky. And she definitely has con- all the people in Salt Lake, too, who I think probably have switched their voter affiliation. I don't know what the percent is from Democrat to Republican to vote. That are freelancing yeah. in the Republican primary. But uh, Celeste and Bruce, they're fighting between themselves in terms of the conservative numbers. Now, the other thing that's interesting, you talked about voter turnout. About a week ago, the numbers I was seeing was in Davis County, they had a 27% voter turnout. Salt Lake County had a 16% voter turnout. Washington and Iron County, both very conservative bases, had less than 1% voter turnout at the time I saw the numbers. Now, what so that says is a bunch of people are unknown, and they're going to kind of wait till the last minute before they go cast their vote. But we should say vote. this is not uncommon for this race. So there, there's this always this moment of reporting. So is the story... <gasps> 47% are undecided, this is crazy and unusual, or is the story 47% are undecided and to break late on a special election mm-hmm. is the norm. With candidates who don't know very Partly because well. you don't know them and you haven't heard enough yet and you have you keep delaying your decision because you want more and more information, you aren't decided. So it's not unusual. So in, in a normal election, you see about a third, a third, a third. A third of us get our ballots and within five days return them and look at us. About a third are somewhere in the middle and about a third kind of simulate election Last day. Couple days. They kind of want to be closer to election. Yeah. This is a little... What surprise is yeah, going to pop up? I exactly. better wait. So we're seeing slightly less than a third for sure. Um, John is seeing the same numbers I am, which we're seeing the dense populated areas perform better. 
that's very normal. That's very normal in elections to see that. I don't know why, actually, but that tends to be how election results come in. Um, well, I shouldn't say that because remember right now we don't know any results. We just know who's who what, has sent who's back sent their, their ballot. Yeah. Um, but I do think it, it has mirrored other special elections other than, again, we're seeing a really decrease in I think interest level on this. Um, the other thing that becomes, I'm going to move a step behind ahead because I just like the politics on this. You get elected in sep- September. You have an election in November for sure. There's a blink but before you have to run again. <laughs> this is two elections. This is the start of a marathon. And I Come think January, you the results sign up this year. of the primary might start to shape out what the next election looks like as well. And the interesting thing is with, I guess, depending on how decisive anyone's win is, if it's not crazy decisive, do we start from scratch again and all of a sudden you have a competitive race again next year where they don't serve more than a year. So that will be interesting to see. One thing that's interesting to me too is Becky Edwards, when she was running for Senate, I interviewed her several times. I was seeing her everywhere. Someone correct me, but I have not seen her do one interview with, the media anywhere. She's just not talking. And I'm guessing that that is probably part of her plan is be quiet, let people know what they're going to know and vote can, on that. You can do the prepackaged ads. And yeah. I'm seeing ads on TV that are all packaged and look like, hey, wonderful. She's the common sense conservative. And she's a very nice lady, but conservative is not a word that I put there. I think that, um, I mean, obviously. And I served with her in the house. So let's talk about that. I think the two biggies that we got from the last election that made her more moderate looking as we now know that she's voted for president Biden, as opposed to Trump. Uh, she was in favor of keeping Roe versus Wade. You served with her on a local level. Um, tell me your insight from voting in the legislature. So she was passionate about representing her part of Davis County, yeah. which leans much more to the left than where I was Northeast Utah County, which was typically one of the most conservative in the state. And so we were just at very different ends of the Republican spectrum. And so her policies and other things like that, I'm dealing with, with transportation issues and education issues. She's dealing also with education, but air quality and other things like that were more, a lot of the issues that she was focused on. Um, so I that's mean, just I hate air quality. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. There you go. There I you mean, go. I think Becky Edwards is a tried and true reliable Republican. Is she a right Republican? No. But I, I think I think it all is where you're standing. You compare her voting record in the House, and it was a Republican voting record. And um, and I think the mainstream moderate middle, I'm not holding against her, her calculation on Trump being a Republican or Democrat thing. I think there is a third calculation on Trump. And you've seen a number of bona fide Dick Cheney Republicans who are not voting for Trump. So I think to conflate... But not voting for Trump is different than voting for Biden. It... it yeah, I guess if, if you're looking like for Romney litmus tests for his wife, Anne, I think. Is right. But says. I think those are superficial litmus tests to be a little harsh about it. Yeah. Because I think that's what they are. That's not about a legislator legislating. That's about how true are you to a brand I want you to be. And I respect that Becky Edwards is saying I, I she's a legit Utah Republican from my vantage point of having looked at those. So why she is she the not most moderate? Questions. This is what I want to talk about. I do find it answer for her weird. You know, I mean, I find it weird. She didn't respond to KSL's request to be. I I can see why she blew off 
what I thought was a clever but stunt by Malloy to stage the debates. Under. For like a dozen debates. So I'm yeah. going to give credit to Celeste Malloy for having a good strategy, but I can also see why Becky Edwards was like, just because you lay but out that doesn't mean Does she mean even I'm do one to. debate? No, she's not done anything. As, as Heidi said, She, I don't know that she's done an interview. No, and she, um, so I think... I mean, you would have thought she would have showed up yeah. for the debate at KSL, which makes no sense to me. Yeah. Um, I've given opportunity, and I will tell you, I haven't been de- texting every day to get an interview, but we've had other reporters, Daniel Woodruff, Brian Malahi from our station. I put in a request about two weeks ago for a take-two interview, and last time around, she was quick to do it, excited to come so in, ready for the press. I think the answer to your but, question. But the first case, yeah. she was the underdog, so she's kind of got nothing to lose this as is she right. challenges the incumbent. Yeah. In this one, she's the front-runner. And what you're describing is a very cautious strategy. There's only one way to go, and that's down. And so don't screw up in the last few days. The only place earned or open media is going to get her is subject to some criticism, where if she can control her own message, then she controls it. The one thing I'll also say just on tactics from from the cheap seats, um, I've been really surprised that both she and Celeste, a little bit Bruce, I haven't seen his as much, are on network television. Because with an audience this small... Every day of the week, I would take your money and do a direct voter contact over a general message. If you were running on a big election day, I would maybe do. But I've been really surprised, particularly with Celeste Budget, that she's chosen network television. Because I have seen her ads, and I have seen a ton of Becky ads. There is no version of the world where I should be looking at what you're doing because I'm not your voter. So I've been a little – it's been interesting because – even though I know that Becky Edwards and Bruce Huff have put in their own money and they have some money, they don't have so much money that that they have money to burn. So I've been a little surprised that we haven't that that, that at least all of them have somewhat yeah. chosen that. And, and the interesting television. thing for me is going back to Celeste. To what extent? I mean, listening to the convention uh, chatter, there were a lot of folks that wanted somebody from Southern Utah, yeah, in the congressional delegation, and so that would be Celeste. And so it would be interesting to see whether they coalesce behind her or whether it gets fractured because you got Bruce from Park City, Becky from Davis County, and, and, and how it shakes out. You know, Bruce doesn't live in the district, but he's clearly making the pitch. I'm a mm-hmm. business guy. I'm a successful business guy. I know how to do things. I know how to make things happen. So elect me. So what's fun is I don't think we do know what's going to happen. I know. That's the thing. So does anyone want to make a call so we can come back here next week and say you were right or wrong? Oh, I'm going to because I think I, okay. I I have no business doing I don't feel strongly about this, so I'm just risking here. Okay. I think it's going to be Becky Edwards by a small enough margin that there'll be intrigue as to what happens and who runs against her in the next cycle. And I'm going to say I think Becky might be pretty close to peaking. And so it'll be interesting to see who shakes out on the other side. Interesting. My gut's sort of thinking the same way as Mara, but it's so hard to say because it's hard to know how many people turn out and actually show up and vote. And so that door knocking is going to be so important. I'm assuming if she wins that she'll start doing interviews. I'm frustrated because I feel like it's a job interview. If you want the job, you should show up and answer questions. And I'm sure that she's thinking that she can do that, you know, when she moves on. But we all know that this is a likely whoever the Republican winner is of the primary will win in the fall so well to your point when you say i'm going to stand up to china but i won't show up to the debate there's kind of a disconnect there yeah well 
Donald Trump's the front runner, and he's not showing up to debate. It's true. And Biden doesn't so, want to debate either. So, so apparently this is apparently, how we roll in this country. Yeah, we don't want to be accountable to I know. Everyone, put your big boy panties on, and let's do this. Um, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Let's, <laughs> let's make it happen. So while we're talking about low voter turnout, um, Kara Berkland? Now I've just forgotten her name. Berkland. Berkland, Yes. Um, I was looking at her Twitter, County. Hand, Twitter handle and I was like, shoot, what's her name? Uh, she is rerunning her bill to require Utahns opt in to receive a mail-in ballot, which is interesting. We've been talking a lot about over the last couple of years about how safe our elections are and um, if there's a better way to do what we're doing. We like the ballots here in Utah. We've gotten used to it. We do a good job with it. Is this a good idea or bad idea that we would have to jump through an extra hoop to get our ballots here? Will it make us safer, Mr. Auditor? Um, I don't believe it will make us safer. I, you know, I, I see where she's pushing and why it's popular to push down this path. You know, I have some concerns with, with uh, mail-in voting, but I don't think that this is going to fix that problem. I th- also think there are times when, when she talked about cleaning up the voter rolls. Sometimes I think we're too militant, wanting to clean people off the rolls when they have a right to vote. And the concern when they should be cleaned off the rolls is when they move somewhere else. Not if they still live in their house. They just haven't voted for a couple of years. I might be a little harsh with her. I'm never for things that uh, limit Utah's access to the ballot. I just think that you do whatever you can to make it as easy for everybody to vote and not compromise security. And I think that this does nothing to help security, so therefore you're potentially limiting people from the ballot. And I think this lacks some historical perspective, and it also lacks going and seeing the data that we already have in Utah. And what I mean by that is for years you had to qualify to get an absentee ballot. And so we have years and years of being able to look and see what happened when we moved to not only not having to qualify, but automatically getting it mailed to you. So we know about the security of that. We know about the clerical back end that it takes for clerks to do. And we know if and if it did open up balloting. And what if she did a little research she would find is that we've maintained our security. We, if you recall when we did this, it was under Help America Vote. When we did this transition, we did a lot of technical back-end to secure those ballots. Those have not failed us. They've been upgraded since then. But I think this is, this is an attempt to maintain sort of a, a conspiracy theory about making things safer. Utah should not be thrown in to the discussion at the federal level about free and fair elections. We have responsible clerks. We have a really responsible lieutenant governor. We have secure elections. Do we constantly need to be vigilant? Yes. Do we constantly need to be asking ourselves if technology is helping or hurting? Yes. But this only seeks to limit access to the ballot. And so I, I think this is well, a, a, a flawed measure. What you're saying is it really makes it harder for people to vote. Yeah. And it I, is, whether you're waiting in line, whatever it might be, it's going to add yeah. a cost of time to right. make it more difficult. And I really do think that I love the amount of people who weren't asking for a ballot, but when it sits on their kitchen table, they, they become a voter. That's I do great. like that more people become voters. I'm weird when I look at this, and sometimes I get frustrated because I certainly don't want to make it harder for anyone. 
But I also think in this internet world, it's not so hard to go to a website and, you know, check, make sure your name is there. I look at other countries where they get an election for the first time and people are willing to stand for hours or drive miles, you know, to go to it. And I just think, you know what, we live in a free country with so much offered to us. Having something where you, you know, lay it down or like say, I want to vote, I want to be a part of this. It doesn't seem that hard either. So, and I think the three yeah. of us would all agree. I think the three of us all miss election. I have to force oh, myself I to mail in. I want to stand there I for wanna... an hour visiting with my neighbors. One hundred percent. I want John Philip Sousa behind me when I'm voting. Yes, like, but I also I wear a flag. I and go love it. I want to be but sanctimonious so that about tuba isn't too loud. <laughs> I want to talk about our civic duties. So I think the three of us fall into that vein. Weirdos. But I believe public policy makes people where they are, and more America voting more Utah voted voters but, but here's helps. also the irony okay so we do mail-in voting and everybody gets a ballot and what's our voter turnout it is yeah. still not something to write home to mom no, about it complacency is not, we're not is talking a we're in the 80s or 90 percent yeah. lack of competition on the ballot lack of, I mean that hey that's why yeah. I'm gonna sing the tune of open races and count my vote and open up those caucuses and oh, let's get more participation. Well, why, don't, why don't you have a more competitive party <laughs> yeah I think more parties and Party competition, but you know, yeah. uh, you know the concerns I have with the Republican Party. It's like, well, we don't even have major competition on the other side of the aisle. It's yeah. like, where are they at? Yeah. I do like voting at my kitchen table, and I like having the discussions with my kids. I remember my mom taking me when I was little to vote with her and go stand in line. But I appreciate as I have older kids that you can open up your ballots and uh, talk about the issues because sometimes there's a lot of things on there. There's constitutional amendments or things you don't understand or don't understand repercussions. Mm-hmm. And you you forgot talk. and you yeah. get to there and you're you like, oh, it. I need to Google that really quick. Yeah, so <laughs> well, I think that's kind of nice if I were to tweak it, option. If I were to tweak it slightly, what I'd say is we send the ballots out by mail, but you cast them in person. So you can do your research, you can mark your ballot, and then just show up, yeah, check want, in, and drop your ballot. I want really somebody quick. showing me why. Because all, the only answers I've heard to why are political answers. They're not system and safety answers. So I'm just like, no, it ain't broke. Don't fix it. All right. Do you know what is not well? I don't know if this is broken or if it needs fixing. But the next election I want to talk about is Senator Mitt Romney, his seat. Uh, he's up for re-election this next year. You don't want to talk year. city council races? Uh, we could. <laughs> there are some interesting some city interesting. council races. I saw someone posting videos this week that I have not confirmed is a city council person running for American Fork that was um, screaming like a crazy person at a Costco over masks during the pandemic. I'm still working to track Oh, that's down. my neck of the woods. That's oh, is the it? city next door. I used to represent two-thirds of American Fork when I was All in right. the house. I'll ask you I about have it. not seen that. Okay, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus right now, so we'll have to discuss it next time so, <laughs> and look at it. We can scream about that later. Yes, we can. But Senator Mitt Romney still is not saying whether he's running. And I think when we were sitting last November or December, we're like, okay, he's going to do it before the holidays. And then we're like, no, he's going to do it right in January. And then it was going to be spring and then it was going to be summer. And now he's like fall and fall basically buys him till Christmas. Fall of what year? (laughs) I know, right? Are we going to hear, you know, when the ballots are getting mailed out? So obviously he's filed his paperwork so that he can run. He hasn't said whether he's going to run. Then we have Brad Wilson who formed an exploratory committee. But when you look at how much money he's fundraising and the ads he's putting out and what he's doing, he looks like a candidate. It goes back to uh, my favorite quote from former President Bill Clinton. It depends on what the definition of is is. Mm-hmm. Who's running and who's not, Mara? So I think Mitt Romney is in one of the most unique positions in that he can wait. So uh, he, he's got 100% name ID. 
He knows how to put a campaign team together. He's got financial resources. When he says I need money, he'll have money. Um, and I, I don't know if his calculations are, are compa- comparable to any other candidate. So I think that's why it's so hard to figure out what he's doing because I don't think he has to calculate the same way other candidates have to calculate. I don't. I, I think his his ability to marshal resources. He clearly knows the subject matter. He knows everything. It's a curiosity about why he's waiting. Um, the other thing... Why I, do you think he's waiting? I, I think he is really focused nationally, and he's trying to decide how he feels about... I, d- I don't think he's that focused. It's not a Utah calculation. It's it's a Trump calculation. I think it's a Trump calculation. And I, if I announce I'm not yeah. running, I'm a lame duck, and yes. nobody listens to me anymore. Yeah. If I'm potentially running again... They got to listen to me. Here's the only kind of inside baseball thing that means nothing, but I'm hyper focused on it. So I'll share. Well, it's not. So his fundraising is. So he's got your standard. You're a senator. Here's some PAC money. But you don't work for that. That just gets sent to you. The biggest portion of his fundraising is that he's selling his fundraising list, which is not uncommon. It's not illegal. It's totally above board. But most of the time, if you're about to double down for re-election, you're not shopping your list out you're to other people. You're not sending it out. Now, again, he's a bit of a unicorn, so he could live through that and still raise the money. But that was an interesting note when he filed his last disclosures, a big chunk of his fundraising money um, it, it was attributable to him selling some of his How lists. How much money do you get for that? I haven't looked at those latest I, numbers. They don't How list. good is your list? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's How got a good list. list. He's run for president before. Yeah. He's run for governor. And senator. then if you look at Brad Wilson, I mean, I don't think, and I mean, I, 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 I am a fan of Brad Wilson's. I'll out myself there. But like, I don't think he's trying to be too cute. I think one of the things he needed to test, he being a very different calculus than Romney, I think he needed to test if he could raise money because I don't think he would want to get into it. I think this is potentially a three, four, five million dollar race. I think five. Yeah, five if it's competitive, lower if it's less competitive. And he's raised half of that so far. And I think he, a, a litmus test, so I think some people are like, oh, it was a shill. No, I think part of his assessment on viability was, can I raise? Now it's interesting and, and because- part of the, can I raise, he had to put some in. Oh yeah, yeah. he put, so in, a others, he put in about half of it. Yeah. And so if, so I think what you're alluding to is- Okay, so have you proven enough out yet that you're going to shift and become a candidate? Um, Because Trent Staggs is our only official candidate at this point. That's right. That's right. Interesting. And Trent, I think, is the most conservative in in there that's announced, if you will, formally or informally or potentially going to announce. So what does the auditor see behind the scenes that's happening here? Well, I think there's probably two things. One, like we were saying, I I do think there's a calculus. Um, I think Romney clearly is very concerned with Trump whether he gets reelected, those type of things. He wrote an op-ed just uh, recently trying to say, let's coalesce behind one candidate rather than being split across so many to try and take Trump out. And I think he recognizes if he's a lame duck and says he's not running again, nobody's going to listen to him and he loses his, his platform. And so I think part of it is how can he best take down Trump? And that's part of his calculus from my guess. The other part is, is there a path for him to win? And I think, you know, as Mara said, he can get the resources and other things like that. Can he get the votes in Utah? I think if he can't get the votes, then it's one of those things of why bother. But But if he sees a path, then he might want to do it again. But you look at, he won't announce until fall. 
Well, that could be as late as what? December 20th? Basically Christmas, yeah. Sure. And the other thing that I think has been so intriguing is that um, legitimate opinion research can have different results because collecting data is so much about who you asked and how you asked Mm -hmm. them, right? I have seen um, opinion research that shows both there is absolutely no path for Romney and that the Republicans will soundly reject him. And I've seen data that shows there is a path for Romney and the Republicans. Because I'm saying Republicans because Romney's test will be in a Republican primary. It won't be in a general election from my seat. I believe he's very safe, actually, in a general election. I think the question is whether Republicans will reelect him again. And I have seen opinion research that makes the case that there's not a chance he gets elected. And I have seen research that says his numbers are better than Mike Lee's and Mike Lee didn't have a problem. Did Does he have a chance as an unaffiliated in a general election? I don't election? think he's interested in unaffiliated as a general. I think, I, I think that is something that's been a long-held rumor, and it's been a rumor that's been substantiated, but I think it's a rumor that the political culture has done. I don't, don't you think, think we Romney has Evan ever... Evan McMullen indica- that it's, it's a no-go? Well, I mean, Romney and Evan wouldn't be equivalents, but I just want to say Romney has shown no interest but in running. It clearly is not as easy as some thought it might have been. For sure. And, and so, have, so it's a Republican path, which is an uphill battle for him, because yeah. he's skirted Maybe. a lot of Republican events So these that's days. what's interesting. I love love that there's conflicting data out there about that. It is fun for us to talk about. And then you see a few random people thinking that maybe he's holding out because maybe he's going to join no labels, which I don't see happening and running for president um, on a split ticket. That rumor and the rumor by people who are affiliated with him about this like last minute run for um, president, which I cannot tell you how much I love that rumor. Like, I don't know if I were spending my time and I were Romney, I'd, I'd throw myself into the mess that is the Republican He's like, everyone running for president's almost 80 or 80 anyways. <laughs> Boom, I'm in. Yeah, I've Ouch. done it before. Ouch. Let's talk about Nikki Haley and the need for an age test. I know. Yeah. So that's interesting. So it seems like it wasn't even that long ago. When was the first debate? It was like August 20-something. 20 yeah. yeah, 24th. It was an interesting debate watching it because it was the first time that we had some oxygen in a room. It was kind of nice that uh It was kind of President a normal debate, classic Republican yeah. kind of. And I think of anyone who surprised me, Nikki Haley has been floundering, it seems to me, where she probably should have made some headway. She seemed to make a name for herself on the stage that night. Did anyone else get any feelings, Mr. Dougal? I, Dougal, you I thought she was one of the winners of the debate. I, I thought she elevated herself as a result of the debate. Um, I liked some of the things she said. One of the things I really appreciated was she tended to be, from my perspective, more honest than some of the other candidates about, let's be real, about the fiscal problems that are partly caused by our own party. Let's have some reality in our discussion about abortion. We want to protect life, but we don't have 60 votes in the Senate. And I get that some people don't want to accept that reality. But, I mean, those are facts of life you got to deal with. you got to count the numbers if you're going to try and do something in Congress. So I was trudging up dorm stairs. So I didn't watch live. I only watched the, the, the post spin. Stuff. So that's my perspective. But one of the things I like is I'm going to, you know, answer the question of do debates matter? Well, you saw Trump's. And and this is for a moment, and then they'll change again. But you saw Trump's numbers for the first time soften after the debate, and they went to other people, namely Nikki Haley. She saw an enormous bump. I'll just, like, in my own little micro world, I had a series of texts keeping me up on what was going on from across the political spectrum, and they all chose Nikki Haley as sort of who they were most surprised by, who they found most appealing. 
Um, but you saw Trump's numbers soften. Again, he wasn't there, but you saw his soften. You saw hers grow. DeSantis actually didn't get killed from it, which, you know, he but got he was beat up. Hyper cautious. Yeah. I mean, he clearly looked like he, he thought he was a front runner and had nothing. But, but Ramaswamy, I, I think, would, took some of the blows that probably would have gone to Santa's way, but so he was putting himself Ramaswamy out there. Ramaswamy was, I think, the big loser because prior to that going in, I mean, I know Eminem sent him a letter this week that says stop rapping, but I was totally <laughs> on board with him rapping at the state fair in Iowa. So, like, he was on a roll. He had had several good press hits. They were all highly packaged. They were on his. I thought at the debate, he found he, he showed himself to be a third tier and he showed himself to just be a fighter for Trump. And he didn't distinguish himself as a real candidate in that moment. He was almost well, just like playing the role. He was running for VP. Yeah. And I actually think he was one of the other winners. Really? The, I do. Now, now some people like, yeah. like you were saying, take issue with that. But I think from his perspective, he did exactly what he wanted to do. And he showed that he could stand up to the pummeling that he was getting from Mm-hmm. Most everybody else on the stage. So I thought That's it was interesting that Mike Pence talked the most. <laughs> None of us have surprising. anything to say well, about it. Well, to me, he was like a scold. I mean, he was just, I mean, yeah. his his comments to Vivek and, and stuff like that was just, you know, he just didn't show well from Bless my perspective. Bless his heart. As a sitting Republican vice president in the United States who arguably can say, but for me, the Constitution would have gone away January 6th. Absolutely. He's and we should so respect darn him for that. boring that he can't get traction. Like, if you could write his story on a piece of paper and not have him present it, like, I don't know what it is about him. Again, he spoke the most. And you listen to anybody's post-analysis and they're like, oh, yeah, Mike Pence was there too, I think. And he did talk a lot. So I don't well, know what about him. He's not getting traction with us. Um you know, well, I don't know why, but he I, doesn't get traction. I like Tim Scott. And I yet, like Tim Scott. Yeah, he was quiet. It was yes. almost like he wanted to be courteous and not talk over anybody else. And so he kind of faded into the background as a result, unfortunately. Um, That's a good point about debates. It, it is somewhat about, well, not somewhat. It is about your performance. Personality and And fight. we've seen a ton, the polite statesmen who they just don't do well because you kind of have to figure out how to be a little scrappy, how to interrupt people and not look like a jerk. And I think Which he was- Which is hard to do. Yeah. And, and I like Doug Burgum. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was new to the stage. You could tell he was, you know, uh, not that experienced. But I like some of his message, and I thought he showed well, given where he was coming from. Yeah. I'm okay if Trump wants to skip the others, I think. You're ready. Think it I'm was kind of nice being able to hear for the first time everyone else. So that was kind of nice watching that. And uh, I feel like we keep talking about the same things over and over again, but now we're getting more real talk about possibly a Biden impeachment hearing. Uh, Trump has pleaded not guilty in his latest indictment. McConnell um, has yet again frozen up. That is stressful to see. Which is stressful to see because as a human, you look at it and it feels uncomfortable. And you're thinking, does he not have his wife or his children or the people who work for him that say, okay, you know what? It's time to hang up the gloves. You've had a great career. You know, it just makes us all uncomfortable. Notably, watching. too, both of these freezing ups happened in press events. The reason I point that out is it wasn't like we caught him doing something else at a moment. This is where he gathered people and said, turn the cameras on. And even then, he he's having these episodes. I'm going to conflate two of those issues. Um I think that I'm going to conflate three issues Do it. that will become really interesting. I'm just, just everything's the same. No, I think, I think that um, the the 
potential, but I don't hope happens, default, financial default in September, Mitch McConnell's leadership on that, and Biden's impeachment, which is being leveraged by some people in the far right against the you know, the, the debt, the limit um, in September all become interesting in that they start to become politically woven together, even though they should all be considered separately. So I think there is some pressure on McConnell's office to stay in place because of the jockeying for impeachment and, um, and, and the financial crisis that could, in fact, happen in September. And so I do think that there's a political relationship between those things. And we've seen them both come up this week. Yeah. All three, I should say. Having dealt some with elderly parents, sometimes you don't fully are aware of some of the situations you're in from a health perspective. And, and my experience is too often you have people whispering in your ear about how wonderful you are, but for you, America or Utah or whatever would just cease to exist and you've got to stay in that position. And, and, and I, I look at you know senators, they've got a large staff that works for them. So if they leave office, that's highly disruptive for all these people that are dependent on them for a job. And so there is a lot of motivation to keep these folks in office from those around them. And yeah, yeah those around them may not be wanting to say, here's the reality, you got to hang up the gloves. And I love honesty. Yeah. And so I guess that's what it feels to me is dishonest because you want to hear the honesty of whatever is going on. And so it's frustrating. And I think you're right that there's always these moving parts, you know, whether it's the staff you're worried about or the next bill. And I sometimes think this is an American problem and it's only our problem. We deal with it. But I've been reading up on history from other countries. I've been looking at the UK recently and Winston Churchill, and he had some grand moments and some great moments of leadership at the end too. I think even he recognized I shouldn't be doing this. I'm not healthy enough. But you always think, but they can't do it without me. Or if we can get through this next trauma or we can deal with this next thing, when really if you could just let go and let somebody else take the job, because there's none of us who are irreplaceable. We can you know, all it, be replaced. But you feel like you're letting people down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the nice version. The bad version is like entitlement and self-involvement. He is the longest sitting leader in the Senate. And the Senate more than any other, the U.S. Senate more than any other governmental body, seniority is power. That's not true in other, that's not true in Utah. Sometimes the senior people are powerful, sometimes they're not. In the United States Senate, seniority is power. And that's why we saw Senator Hatch for so long. That they just and go and go. And he should have hung it up long years yeah. before. And, and I think that's why what you're saying, the apparatus around them starts to feel sort of predatory. You're like, yeah. why is nobody? And then also, are you so self-involved that you think that you need to be there? But remember, I mean, I compared this before where like back in the day, I would listen to Oprah. Now everything on our list is too expensive. She's no longer in touch with the people. I don't know if Mitch McConnell, he's been in power. Are you not looking at the book list? I'm, I'm not looking at the list anymore. But like Mitch McConnell's been there for too long. I, he, there's no way he has kept perspective. There is no outsider who looks at this and says, oh gosh, this is best for this human. This is best for, you know, the United States. Having said that, the political reality is he has staked out a position with Trump, with impeachment, with the debt ceiling limit, that is sort of a steady hand. Yeah. So is he doing it, or is his office benevolent, or are they in fact entitled and self-involved? Maybe some of both. both I, it has to be, right? Yeah. It is so stressful to watch him. I know. It's stressful to watch him, and I also don't like listening to Corinne Jean-Pierre talk about how their staff and she can't keep up with President Biden. I'm like... 
I'm pretty sure you can keep up with him. Be honest. And then with McConnell staff, I'm like, let's be honest. I just want everyone to just. And there's Diane Feinstein. Let's let's be clear. This is not this is a, a partisan issue. No. <laughs> well, this is both sides of the aisle, and it's yeah. both you know both branches. Um, this is both a chambers in a structural problem, yeah. not a ideological. And she's problem. had an excellent career, but at some point, let your go. family let Grandma come home, tell her mm-hmm. stories, make some peanut brittle. Yeah. You don't have to be in the U.S. Senate. You just don't. No. I don't Stay know. Stay tuned for peanut brittle recipes <laughs> with Heidi Hatch. I know, and I hate saying this because I hate ageism, and I know that in the industry I work in that women are often forced out before men, so I hate even saying that there should be some rule about age, and there is no rule about age. I think it's just can you do the job, and if you can't, Well, it's that's time to what's hard aside. is that when you see this and you watch him and you watch him needing so much support, it's hard to assess that yeah. he's he's fully able to do what is one of the hardest jobs right now in American government yeah. too. I mean, this is not this is not average work. This is a really intense work. His staff and handler um, handled it well, though. So yeah, I yeah, know so, she did a really yeah. good job being like, "What this? This is just like what you do." Yeah. So anyhow. well, and then the Senate doctor basically <laughs> yeah. gave him a clean gave bill of health. Which I'm sorry for most Americans who are going, "No, seriously? Yeah, seriously." I know, and I you're think like, that's what, what test did you do? That makes you one more notch for normal people not believing that politicians are being straight with them, right? I know, because we all have eyeballs. Yeah. And that's the real problem. Yeah. So, anyhow, we're going to be watching so much this next week. I can't wait to see uh, what happens with the CD2 race. If you are listening and you are in that district, we encourage you to vote. Do it. Yeah, it'll matter. Cool Your vote's going to be a big stinking deal. Absolutely. So, thanks for joining us. Have a great week. Happy September, everyone.